Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Amos. If you have one of the um, Scripture uh, journals there, it's going to be a lot easier to find probably. (laughs) Let's go ahead and begin uh, in a word of prayer. Thank you, Lord, for your grace to us. We thank you for the gospel and we rejoice in the cross. We pray that you might help us now as we look at this text in front of us in Christ's name. Amen. Last week, we uh, were introduced in the book of Amos to the unbending and the unyielding authority of the Lord. The Lord has access to all authority. The Lord is all authority. The Lord rules and the Lord reigns and the Lord, he is king and of course he is Lord. In one sense, the passage in front of us today is easy to digest in one sense because God is condemning others, the nations. And so from that perspective, it's easy to jump on the finger-pointing bandwagon and declare the guilt of others. It's another thing, of course, entirely to have the finger pointed at ourselves. And in another sense, today's passage is very difficult to digest. Why is that? Because we don't like to naturally think on the justice and judgment of God. And we see that very clearly in the text in front of us, the judgment and justice of God. In today's text, we see God's judgment on the nations. Here's my judgment on this nation and on this nation, on that one and on that one. And even though the canon of Scripture is closed, we know this, and we know that the Lord is not inspiring new Scripture today, even though that is the case, God is still judging the nations. One only has to consider the fact that nations don't last very long, on average. Nation after nation comes and sins and ways against the Lord, and then suddenly the nation is gone. We see the uh, fact of the things going on in our own nation. We look at Romans 1, and it makes us wonder if God was to give America an oracle like he did the nations here, what would he say against America? What are our prevailing sins as a nation, and how is God going to deal with us? And of course, that is something to be thinking about anytime you come to Scripture and you read of God's judgment on the nations or God's judgment on someone else, you ought to be thinking in the back of your mind, what about me? What about where I am? And so I want to look at our text today in two main sections. We're going to see the introduction um, here, and then we're going to see the oracles against the nations. Amos chapter 1 through Amos, uh, or Amos chapter 1, verse 1, through Amos 2 in verse 3. Let's go ahead and read this text together. The words of Amos, who was among the shepherds of Tekoa, which he saw concerning Israel in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah, and in the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel, two years before the earthquake. And he said, the Lord roars from Zion. And utters his voice from Jerusalem, the pastures of the shepherds mourn, and the top of Carmel withers. Thus says the Lord, 
For three transgressions of Damascus, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because they have threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. So I will send a fire on the house of Hazael, and it shall devour the strongholds of Ben-Hadad. I will break the gate bar of Damascus and cut off the inhabitants from the valley of Avon, and him who holds the scepter from beth and the people of Syria shall go into exile to Kerr, says the Lord." Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Gaza and for four I will not revoke the punishment because they carried into exile a whole people to deliver them up to Edom. So I will send a fire on the wall of Gaza and it shall devour her strongholds. I will cut off the inhabitants from Ashdod and him who holds the scepter from Ashkelon. And I will turn my hand against Ekron and the remnant of the Philistines shall perish, says the Lord God. Thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Tyre and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they delivered up a whole people to Edom and did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. So I will send a fire upon the wall of Tyre and it shall devour her strongholds. Thus says the Lord. For three transgressions of Edom and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because he pursued his brother with the sword and cast off all pity and his anger tore perpetually and he kept his wrath forever. So I will send a fire on Teman and it shall devour the strongholds of Basra. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of the Ammonites and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because they have ripped open pregnant women in Gilead that they might enlarge their border. So I will kindle a fire in the wall of Rabbah, and it shall devour her strongholds with shouting on the day of battle, with a tempest in the day of the whirlwind, and their king shall go into exile, he and his princes together, says the Lord. Thus says the Lord, for three transgressions of Moab, and for four I will not revoke the punishment, because he burned to lime the bones of the king of Edom. So I will send a fire on Moab, and it shall devour the strongholds of Kirioth, and Moab shall die amid uproar, amid shouting, and amid the sound of the trumpet. I will cut off the ruler from its midst, and I will kill all its princes with him, says the Lord. As we begin here in Amos chapter 1, going through 2, verse 3, we find here at the very start uh, Amos's biographical information, as well as an introduction to the Lord God himself. In verse 1, we are introduced to Amos, who was a shepherd in Tekoya. The word shepherd here has been a little bit debated. It could also refer to a sheep breeder, or it could even be referring to a manager of shepherds. In any event, we read that Amos saw. We read the words, he saw, which indicates that he is emphasizing the divine source of this prophecy. Amos is not saying this is something that I made up. This is not something that I thought up of myself. He saw... We see that he is indicating that this is something that comes from the Lord. This prophecy of Amos happened during the days of Uzziah and Jeroboam II, as we saw last week, as well as in verse 1 of Amos 1. And it happened two years before the earthquake. You remember that we talked about the fact that there was an earthquake, a notable earthquake, during this time in 760 B.C., and if it was this one, it may not be, but if it was this one, this prophecy took place in 762 B.C. In any event, it happened very close to 762, somewhere in a 14-year range around this. Verse 1 introduces to us Amos, and verse 2 introduces to us the Lord. 
We read in verse 2, And he said, The Lord roars from Zion and utters his voice from Jerusalem. The pastors of the shepherds mourn in the top of Caramel Withers. The Lord here clearly positions himself ready to judge and to deal out justice. And this verse introduces us to the theme of the rest of these oracles that we're going to see today, and that is the theme of judgment from the Lord on the nations. And the response is given to us by even inanimate objects. I mean, even inanimate objects know their place before the Lord. And so the pastures respond, Mount Carmel responds, and it indicates to us that the proper response to God roaring, the proper response of his creation is trembling, to stand in our proper place before a holy God. One walks away from this verse understanding that only one thing will satisfy God's wrath. Justice. That is it. One ought to be very careful and very cautious if one imagines that God will take your sin lightly or to sweep that sin under the rug or to overlook it. Do you realize that the only thing that will satisfy the wrath of God is justice? This is not negated when we look at grace, because justice was satisfied at the cross. The cross had to happen for justice to be satisfied. If justice did not have to be satisfied, why the cross? What purpose did it serve? And so we are introduced to the Lord roaring here, and now we get into the individual oracles against the nations. Now, there is, I mentioned this last week, and, and, I, and, I, and I said that one of the difficulties of coming into the book of Amos is the fact that we feel very far removed from the nations and what was going on at this particular time. And so what I want to do here is I want to help us uh, establish the basic structure because there's so much information here and, and there's so many oracles and who are these people? What were they doing? What's going on? I want to give to you the basic structure of each of these oracles that may just help to, to frame this for us a little bit. Okay? Amos gives, in chapter 1 and 2, a total of eight oracles against the nations. We are looking at six of those eight today. Because the remaining two oracles are specifically against God's own people, Judah and Israel. We are looking at the six on the non-Israelite nations today. And every single oracle follows this same pattern. I'm going to put this up here for you. Each of the six has... Is this not working today? Uh, number one, a statement of authority, thus says the Lord. Okay? Every oracle starts off with, thus saith the Lord. If you're trying to figure out your place in the text, where is the next oracle? It, is, it starts with, thus saith the Lord. Okay? Every single one of these oracles 
also has a commitment to punishment. And it goes in this same format every time. For three transgressions of blank, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment. Every single one has the same pattern, okay? And then every single one of these uh, has a declaration of guilt. And this is, you'll see in the word because, okay? The word because. For three transgressions of Tyre, and for four, I will not revoke the punishment because you did this. This is how you're guilty, okay? And then finally, each of these has a specific judgment. So I will. Because you did this, I will do this. This is the pattern uh, over and over and over again. Um, I'm, I'm going to, you guys can put up, uh, this is just, I'm showing you the, um, uh, the wood shavings, right? You, you make, if, if, if you're into woodworking and you make a shelf or something, you don't show the customer all of the wood shavings in your shop, right? You show them the finished product. Okay, I'm just going to show you the wood shavings today a little bit, okay? This is, this is my own copy. I have the whole book of Amos printed off on one sheet of blueprint paper so I can see the whole thing at one time. And this is kind of how I uh, marked them. Go to the next picture there because it zooms in on one of them specifically. Um, I just have um, set off each one of these with underline, thus saith the Lord. And then I've just circled each of these separate, so I can kind of keep them separate in my own mind. You have the statement of authority, thus saith the Lord. And then the next line, the circled spot there, you have the commitment to punishment for three transgressions of Damascus and four, I will not revoke. Then you have the because statement. This is their declaration of guilt, what they did. And then you have the so I will. Uh, This is what the punishment is. All of the oracles today follow this same pattern. If you want to circle them, underline them, mark them off in some way so that you can see the difference between them all, perhaps maybe that's uh, helpful for you as as you look at them. Okay. Now what I want to do here is before we look at each of the six today, specifically, I want to give to you the basic principles that we can take away from each of these, okay? What can we learn from each of the six oracles in general? And then we will zoom in on the specifics, okay? So here I have three principles for you. Principle number one, God alone reserves the right to tell his creation how they are to behave. If there's anything we can take away from these oracles, it is that God does not even have to establish. By the way, I'm authoritative for these six reasons. He just says it. Okay? God alone reserves the right to tell his creation how they behave. All other authorities outside of God are at best delegated authorities, and thus those authorities are accountable to the Lord. We know that God has instituted the family, God has instituted the church, and God has instituted the government. And each of those three authorities established by God are delegated authorities, meaning that if any one of these authorities steps over God's boundaries, you don't have an obligation to obey those authorities because your ultimate allegiance is to God and God alone. Those authorities cannot overstep God's boundaries. They cannot trump God's boundaries. God alone reserves the right for all authority. Amos, you will note in these Verses does not appeal to shared values. 
shared political laws. He does not appeal to pop culture or to any surveys on Twitter. He makes his appeals to God alone. He doesn't say, okay, we can at least all agree that you guys should stop killing people. He doesn't appeal to that. He appeals to, what does he say again and again and again? Thus says the Lord. That's principle number one. Principle number two is that unbelievers are accountable to God's law. Some people have proposed that only Israel was accountable to God's law because he gave the law to Israel. But these oracles indicate that even nations who are not recipients of the law are still accountable to God. If you want to see this in the New Testament, Romans 2, 12 through 16 makes this clear because we see that Gentiles who do not have the law are still accountable to it because it's written, God says, on their hearts. We all have God's word written on our hearts and thus we know certain things about God's expectations for us. Okay, The takeaway for this, for, for us, is that we can go to unbelieving lawmakers uh, and we can exhort them to enact moral laws on the authority of God's word. The, uh, principle number three from these oracles, sin will not go unpunished. Either God, one, one, of, one of two things is going to happen. There, there, there is no such thing in God's universe as an unpunished sin. Either God will punish you, the sinner, or he will punish Christ on your behalf. But these oracles indicate to us that God is serious about his judgment. Those are three principles that we can take away from these oracles. Now I have three technical remarks on these oracles, okay? Number one, we can identify some of the sins and some of the judgments in these oracles, but not all of them, okay? There's a list, Edom did this, Moab did this, the Ammonites did this, and there are some times where we can say, yes, that was clearly this passage in Scripture where they did that, and there are some times when we say, we don't have a record of that particular sin that this nation did. Okay? There are some instances in these oracles where we say, aha, yes, we know where God judged them in this way because of this. The Bible says this elsewhere, and we know that this happened. And there are some times where we say, ah, we don't have a record of that particular judgment. Or we might say, we think it's this, but we're not totally sure. Okay? I will mention or try to mention the ones that we do know, uh, but I will say as a side note, whether we can verify, quote unquote, these, these specific sins and punishments is ultimately irrelevant. Why? Because it's already verified here in Amos. <laughs> whether or not you can say, oh, we can also point to this other evidence or not, God said it here and we know that it is true because of that. That's uh, technical remark number one. Number two, the statement for three transgressions and for four probably means many transgressions, okay? Um, there is a little bit of debate back and forth about what exactly this means. Some say that, well, three plus four is seven, and so that has some significance here. Uh, some, some say that um, there's really just one sin in each of them, but sometimes it's expanded on. 
uh, it's probably best to just understand this statement as for many transgressions. You just sinned a lot. And this is the judgment for that. Number three, the third remark is this. By listing the sins of the nations first, Amos likely drew in his Israelite audience who would be eager to agree. This would then catch them off guard and defenseless in what we're going to see next week, okay? Israel would be like, yeah, and Moab, (laughs) yeah, the Ammonites, oh, yeah, Tyre, oh, man, (laughs) totally agree, Okay, let's, let's heap it on. Actually, we can add to this list. They did this also and this and this. And then all of a sudden, for three transgressions of Israel. And for, whoa, 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 wait a second. What? Now, we're not going to get to that till next week, Lord willing. But Amos, in this first part, is drawing in his Israelite audience uh, who's unaware of the fact that they're going to be pounced on uh, soon. Now, with these introductory uh, remarks... Um, We're going to look at each oracle in turn, and so I'm not going to repeat. We've already looked at um, the pattern here, so I'm not going to repeat all of that stuff, but we're going to look at it with this pattern today. We're going to look at who the nation is, their particular sin, and the punishment, okay? Um, Additionally, uh, we have a map here that has a list or or, or, uh, indicates the location for each of these nations. And so you can see Israel and Judah here, and the one, two, three, four, five, six is the nations that these oracles are spoken against in order of where each of them is addressed in Amos, okay? So we have, of course, Damascus first, that's number one there. We have Gaza next, that's number two up here, uh, and so on and so forth, Okay? So sorry for some of the more technical information, but I'm trying to bridge a cultural gap, okay, that we are missing some information by being 21st century Americans to not know some of this stuff, okay? All right, number one, Damascus or Syria. That is the nation with the first oracle. We see this in verses three through five. We see that the sin that's listed is that they threshed Gilead. And God's punishment on this nation is that he will send fire, devour strongholds, break the gate bar, cut off inhabitants, and exile them to Kerr. Damascus, according to verse 3, threshed Gilead with threshing sledges of iron. Now, I don't know if you are aware of what a threshing sledge is. But it's basically a plank that is embedded with stones or iron on the underside, on one side of it. And an animal would be hitched up to this threshing sledge. And uh, you would have people stand on the sledge for weight. And then the animal would pull this across grain. And this would separate the grain from the chaff. Course, what Amos is saying here is that they did this to people. That they took this weight, this plank, with stones, iron embedded in it, and lined up people and drug this sledge over human beings so that it ripped their bodies apart. 
This is, of course, a grotesque image of human depravity. Syria had a problem with extreme mistreatment of people. It's hard to think of a more painful way to treat human beings than to line them up and have these stones and pieces of iron rip their flesh apart, literally. 2 Kings 13, in verse 7, says, The king of Syria had destroyed them and made them like dust at threshing. This is a reference to what we see in Amos. God promises for this grotesque act, he promises punishment in verses 4 through 5, and we see this fulfilled in 2 Kings 16 and verse 9 that says, And the king of Assyria listened to him. The king of Assyria marched up against Damascus and took it, carrying its people captive to where? To Kerr. This is in 2 Kings 16, and we see that in our passage in Amos 1, specifically in verse 5. God promised that they would go into exile and occur, and we see that that promise is fulfilled. That is his oracle against Damascus or Syria. Next is Gaza, which is the Philistines. The sin is that they delivered an entire nation to Edom. The punishment was that God would send fire devour strongholds, cut off inhabitants, hand them against Ekron, and the Philistines would perish. This, of course, is the Philistine nation. There is a reference in 2 Chronicles 21 that may be referring to this. 2 Chronicles 21 and verse 17. They came up against Judah and invaded it and carried away all the possessions they found that belonged to the king's house and also his sons and wives so that no son was left to him except Jehoahaz, his youngest son. This, this, this is not referring to the punishment to the Philistines, but to their sin, where they delivered up an entire nation. As far as their punishment, they were invaded by Judah as well as Assyria. Next is Tyre. The sin was that they delivered people to Edom, and they did not remember the brotherhood. God's punishment was that he would send fire and devour strongholds. The nation of Tyre was known for its slave trade. They were slave traders. In addition, they likely, when he says they violated the, the brotherhood or did not remember the brotherhood, they likely violated treaties or agreements with nations, possibly Israel. They did not remember the covenant of brotherhood. God promises that he will send punishment. He says he will send a fire on the wall of Tyre and he will devour her strongholds. Next on the list is Edom. The sin of Edom is that they pursued their brother with a sword. They cast off pity. They had anger and they had wrath. God's punishment, he's going to send fire and devour their strongholds. You remember who the nation of Edom is? Descendants of... Esau. Now, we are not entirely sure which event is referred to here, but it could be detailed in 2 Chronicles 21, 16 through 17, and Obadiah 10 through 14. The punishment to Edom is the same as Tyre. He will send fire and destroy strongholds. Next is the Ammonites. The Ammonites here are pictured 
as having a, uh, another particularly grotesque and depraved sin. The Ammonites, does anyone know who the uh, Ammonites are descendants of? Lot. Do you remember Lot was raped by his two daughters? Remember Lot's two daughters uh, made him get drunk, and then one daughter went into him one night, and another daughter went into him another night? Okay. Lot and his younger daughter gave birth to the Ammonites. The nation of the Ammonites... Engaged in the sin of taking pregnant women and ripping them open. And the reason given for this particular sin is because they wanted to enlarge their borders. Okay, What were they doing? They were obviously eliminating the descendants of anyone who would threaten their borders. Just eliminate them. Be done with them. God promises punishment on them for this grotesque sin. And you will note here that he talks about um, a fire in verse 14 kindled in the wall of Rabbah. And there is archaeological evidence that Rabbah Ammon's capital city was destroyed by fire in fulfillment of this particular prophecy. Finally, the last nation in these six oracles is the nation of Moab. The sin of the Moabites was that they burned the Edomite king's bones to lime. The punishment was that God would send fire, devour strongholds. Moab will die cut off the ruler, and kill all princes. The Moabites, does anyone know uh, who these are descendants of? Also Lot and his older daughter. And of course, the Moabites desecrated the body of the king of Edom, and God promises judgment against them for this. And so we have here six oracles against six different nations. Some of the um, sins we can identify. Some we're not sure where they are. Some of the punishments we can identify. Some of those we're not sure of where they are. But in any event, there does seem to be a little bit of a distance here. So let's kind of back up and and, and do some summary here. Where, Where do we go from here? We can probably, most of us who've read Scripture, can recognize the names of these nations, but probably very few of us have any idea what their culture was like, what were the Ammonites like versus the Edomites, what was their culture like. Probably we would be hard-pressed to identify some of those things. We probably would be hard-pressed to identify what their individual politics was like uh, and whether or not you'd want to have them as your neighbor. Probably most of them know. We've seen a little bit of these things. We've been able to piece together some of these things. 
but it is admittedly far removed to us by time, culture, and geography. On the other hand, can you not see that there are some universal principles here no matter where and when all of this took place? Why is that the case? Because human nature never changes. There is more than I would like to admit of the sins of these nations in me. And if everyone here were honest, knowing our own depravity and our own sinfulness, we would admit that there is more of these nations in us than we would like to admit. And I want to distill today's text down to several principles or applications um, that I think are crucial for us to walk away with as we are looking at this text. How can we, in other words, how can we take some of what may seem a little bit far removed from us, find the universal principles, and see how we would apply this passage to our own lives today? Okay, so number one, first, submit to God's authority. How many times did we read in this passage, thus says the Lord? You are a creature made in God's image, and you are accountable to him, not he to you. The passage today says six different times, thus says the Lord. Your behavior is to be determined by Scripture, not what is popular, not what culture accepts, not what you perceive to be right, but by what God says. Submit to the authority of God. Where do we find that? In Scripture. Second, preach God's authority to an unbelieving world. In today's text, again, we saw the phrase, thus says the Lord, specifically preached to who? Non-Israelites. Amos does not assume that he must transition away from God's authority to some shared value system in the world. He knows that both God's people and the pagans are held to the same standard. Some of you are aware of um, uh, Andy Stanley said um, a couple years ago, no, I think, and it's a shame that he said this, but he said, um, I'm going to quote this for you. Andy Stanley said, we have become a text-driven faith, which was fine when everybody took the Bible seriously, but they don't anymore. Andy Stanley is proposing that because nobody takes the Bible seriously anymore, we need to step away from saying, thus says the Lord. (laughs) Your neighbors don't believe this anymore. So don't bring it to them. Are you serious? Are you serious, Andy Stanley? (laughs) This is what the world is, this is what is being said in the church. (laughs) To discard this, what are we supposed to find? Shared values in the world. Andy Stanley said that in a message where he was emphasizing the need to, to back away from Scripture when talking to unbelievers. He was telling his people that people don't believe the Bible anymore, so basically let's find some other arguments that are more convincing than the Bible. 
does Amos take the Andy Stanley approach? He does not. Does Amos do a survey and say, do you believe in God's authority? Oh, Ammonites, they don't believe it anymore. Um, uh, what else can we say? No, he says, thus saith the Lord, with no apologies. He doesn't care whether they believe in God's word or not. He doesn't care whether they accept God as Lord or not. He still appeals to God as authoritative, and we are to do the same. When your coworker says, why can't you just loosen up a little bit? Why, why can't you just let this person express themselves however they want? Here's your response. Well, that's a great question. Well, the Bible says, when your neighbor says, wow, I can't believe what that person did to you. You deserve the right to be angry at them and to get revenge on them. Your response is this. Well, interestingly enough, here's what the Bible says about that. When your relative says, why did you support, why did you not support that bill or that thing or whatever? Your response is, well, Uh, thanks for asking that question. There's a biblical principle at stake here. I can point you to the passage in the Bible that talks about this. Okay? Thus says the Lord. You are to be, you and I are to be like what C.H. Spurgeon said of John Bunyan. You guys know this. I've said this a few times before, and you should know this, okay? C.H. Spurgeon said of John Bunyan, if pricked anywhere, he would bleed Bibline. We, we are to bleed Bible. Someone abuses us, what comes out? Bible. Someone is inquiring about truth, what comes out? Bible. Constantly, we're bleeding Bibline all of the time. We are so filled with Scripture that we know it, and, and it just comes out of us as, as a reaction. What, by the way, what does come out of you as a reaction? Okay. Is your initial reaction to, to, to snap back at somebody? And, or is your initial reaction Bible coming out? That's number two. Number three, recognize that God will punish sin. Either you will pay or Christ will pay. Nowhere do we see in Scripture the Lord saying, ah, well, I'll overlook it. God is serious about justice and dealing with sin, and we would be wise as people to repent of our sins and trust in Christ and take refuge in him. We would be wise to preach repentance to a lost and dying world. We need Christ. God is not going to say, well, uh, Bobby, your good works kind of outweighed your bad works, so we'll let you in. He has to deal with those bad works. Not, not, no, nobody's good works outweigh their bad works anyways, okay? But even if we were to say that that were possible, you still have to do something with the bad works. You don't just... Justice. You see that in the text here? Justice. God is very serious about his justice, and we would be wise to take refuge in Christ. Fourth, this one may hit a little closer to home, I don't know. Don't think that America could never fall. We have a tendency to think everything will go on just as it's been going on our entire lives. Now, I, I, I need to, to say something here, okay? 
This is not me um, hinting at some sort of a conspiracy or, you know, following some crazy person who says America has this many years to live and then we're going to die. I, I don't know. I'm not predicting anything. I, I'm not giving you some conspiracy here. I'm not saying this. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying God judges nations. And there is no nation exempt from that judgment. I don't know what the future holds. I, I'm saying God is serious about judgment. America can continue on. And for another 500 years and everything goes as it's been going. The Lord could bring America to its knees tomorrow, this afternoon. All I'm saying is, do not presume on God's patience. We don't know what the future holds. Maybe I could put the application this way. Don't be complacent. God does and God will hold the nations accountable for their sin, including our own nation. Fifth, seeing the fulfilled prophecies in this passage should increase your trust in the Lord. Not that we need to see all of this. I hope that you already are trusting the Lord. But I hope that when you see these oracles that are fulfilled, you say, aha, the Lord does fulfill his word. The Lord is faithful to his word. He will accomplish that which he says he will accomplish. I can trust in him. He is sufficient. Number six, and the final one, reflect on yourself, your own sin, and your own state before the Lord. Don't point your finger at other nations or other people but look at yourself. The spoiler alert for next week's text is that this is exactly what the Lord will do. After giving six oracles to the nations, he turns his attention to Judah and Israel for actually the harshest oracle of them all. I mean, just glance over in your Bible to to the section on Israel and look at how much longer it is compared to the rest of them. We might think of it this way. Think of the application in these terms. Since we are God's children, how much more ought we to know better and to conform our lives to the Lord? It's very easy to say, oh, look at what that nation's doing. Look at what this nation's doing. Look at them. Look at that. Whatever your, uh, you know, China, Russia, Ukraine, Iraq, da 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 da. How about looking at our own hearts and saying, I am a child of the Lord. How much more ought I to be living in obedience to him? Not only is the book of Amos, here's here's one one of my goals in the book of Amos, is to help us rekindle our love for all of Scripture and to believe that all of Scripture is relevant. Not only is the book of Amos relevant to us, it's timely. We need this message now. 
We need what Amos is saying for today. Now, we are going to, we, we kind of gave the ending away last week, and I want to kind of dangle that ending before us a little bit today, but that is God's judgment. God, God will judge sin. It will either be on us or on Christ. And the good news for us is that we do not have to bear the penalty for our sin. Christ can. And if you don't know Christ, repent and believe on him. And all of the wrath and all of the anger of a just and holy God will be channeled into Christ on the cross and he will consider you to be righteous and sinless because he will consider you to be like Christ is. Take refuge in him. He is sufficient for us. Thank you for your grace, God. And today, we pray that you'd help us to understand this passage in front of us, to apply it, to love your word. We pray in Christ's name. Amen.